Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's June 14th, 2018. It is President Donald Trump's birthday. And to celebrate that, uh, I'm joined by Michael Warren and by Andrew Egger of the Weekly Standard. Thanks for joining me and uh, happy birthday, Mr. President, right? Absolutely. Thanks, Charlie. All right, well, well, the uh, president got an early birthday present. Uh, the New York Attorney General's office filing a lawsuit against the Trump charity. Michael, could you uh, just bring us up to date on that and talk about uh, the significance. Sure. Well, um, the the sort of layman's, which is that's me. I'm a layman. I'm not a legal uh, mind here. Is essentially that the Trump Foundation, which uh, we may remember from the uh, the big January 2016 uh, uh, charity drive that uh, that Trump held for for the veterans when he was boycotting the Fox News debate. Um, all those all those many 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 months ago. Wow. Um, that the Trump Foundation is essentially uh, the New York state attorney general has found is essentially a slush fund and was a slush fund for the uh, Trump uh, campaign. Um, they've they've got emails uh, of uh, of people like Corey Lewandowski, who was the campaign manager at the time, essentially asking for money from the foundation uh, uh, to help pay for things that 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 helped the campaign. Um, that's sort of the long and short of it. Um, I think it's a pretty big deal if what the uh, if what the AG found in in this in this report in the civil lawsuit. Um, is is correct and and is all is on the um, is all correct. I think this is a big deal and a, and a big problem. But then again, it's President Trump. He seems to be Teflon Don, and nothing seems to stick. Uh, but it seems bad to me, Charlie. Tell me how Corey Lewandowski really fits into this. So uh, again, I mentioned that uh, that charity fundraiser that the president uh, uh, at the time, candidate Trump, ran back in January of 2016. Um, which I remember at the time, I, I was actually in Iowa for the presentation of one of those giant, you know, novelty checks. Um, I thought was a little. It was a little odd. There was this weird mixing of uh, of the foundation, which was raising the money, and the campaign, which was sort of using this as a uh, as a camp, almost like a campaign event. Well, it turns out uh, that in fact uh, Lewandowski had sought money. Um, uh, this is uh, from one of the emails uh, that was in this uh, civil lawsuit that uh, the New York uh, State Attorney General uh, delivered today. Um, this is from Lewandowski. Is there any way we can make some disbursements, that's disbursements from the fundraiser, this week while in Iowa, specifically on Saturday? Um, and it says at one point, uh, the lawsuit says Trump actually gave an, outs- uh, an oversized $100,000 Trump Foundation check to a charity at a campaign event yeah. in Council Bluffs, Iowa. I was at that event, and I remember thinking, um, this is a weird mix. Well, it turns out uh, it, it may be, uh, uh, if not criminal, certainly worth a, a civil lawsuit. Jeez, you know, I mean, the, the, the swamp watch continues, and I've, I've said this before that if it wasn't for the Russian investigation, we would be talking about uh, you know all of the other uh, you know corners of grift in this administration. Um, briefly, uh, speaking of of the swamp watch, uh, uh, it looked for a while like uh, Scott Pruitt was uh, was going to skate. The president had made it clear that he wasn't going to fire him; nothing was going to happen. In the last 48 hours, there seems to be, have been a shift. Well, tell me whether you you, you agree with this. Uh, you you have the you know National Review magazine uh, coming out saying that he needs to go. The Weekly Standard had done so uh, some time ago, and even Laura Ingram has broken bad on Scott Pruitt. And, and uh, I saw an ad put together by some um, a conservative organization also saying that he needs to go. So g- give me your sense of of the Scott Pruitt death watch back on again. 
I mean, uh, we've thought that he was on Death Watch before, um, right. and and essentially what saved him from uh, from that fate, at least it seemed at the time, was a lot of these conservative uh, talking head type folks, as well as uh, conservative politicians really rallied behind him when his job really appeared like it was going to be in jeopardy. And and a couple days later than that, President Trump was uh, um, resumed his sort of rhetoric in defense of Pruitt. Um, so I think that this, this does represent a pretty big uh, turning point. Obviously, you know, the, it's not that the scandals have necessarily gotten worse in, in just the last couple of days, but it, maybe it's just we're finally getting over that lag time where this guy who's been dying a death of a thousand cuts for, for months now, people are finally just realizing, Okay, we can't we can't really defend this anymore. There aren't any good excuses for this behavior forthcoming, and maybe it's time to cut bait and and uh, try to keep work at the EPA going with somebody else. Yeah, Mike, are you getting the same thing? It, it seems that a lot of conservatives now recognizing that that he's he's an active liability to the president's agenda and to the conservative uh, agenda. That's right. Uh, we should add that um, Pruitt has long been the bane of the White House staff. The White House really does not like Pruitt. Does not like his staff over at the EPA. And really the only thing that's been saving Pruitt is Trump himself. Trump really likes Pruitt. He likes that Pruitt is out there uh, fighting uh, for his agenda. Uh, And I think that is ultimately, of course, this is the only thing that matters. Now, Trump is nothing if not attuned to sort of where his base is and where the people who have sort of big megaphones are. So I think in that sense, if Trump is going to change his mind, he does like Scott Pruitt. But if Trump is going to change his mind and really force Pruitt out here, um, because I don't think Pruitt is going to go of his own accord. He seems to have no shame on that level. um, It's going to be because of types like Laura Ingram and others. But, you know, we should say Mark Levin, another sort of conservative uh, radio host with some uh, level of influence, um, has, has pushed back uh, against the Laura Ingrams of the world and said, uh, you know, he's doing, uh, Prude's doing the work uh, uh, that, uh, that the president uh, wants him to be doing there. He should stay and the left is who's going after him. So again, <laughs> to quote the president, um, you know, uh, uh, we'll just have to see. <laughs> you, you guys want to have a moment of nostalgia? What's that? You want to feel nostalgic? Do, Absolutely. Do, do, you remember, do, you, do you remember like many, many, just, just seems like decades ago when conservatives were outraged about uh, Barack Obama bowing to dictators or to, you know, to, to the, the king, the king of Saudi Arabia? Remember when that was a thing? Vaguely. Bow? It's, it's a fuzzy memory. <laughs> there's there's a lot of booze in between. I mean, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah I remember. We've been, we have been through a lot. So now we have uh, the pictures and the video of uh, President Trump saluting a North Korean general and, of course, uh, the, the president uh, doubling down and pra- in praising how tough Kim is. Even even when he's asked questions like, I, Mr. President, you know that the guy's like a you know, mass murderer and you know he has people in concentration camps. And uh, the president continues to praise how uh, how tough uh, um, Kim is. And the, the nostalgia is kind of remember what we would have said if Obama had said any of those things. I think this is just an instance of President Trump showing his respect for all troops. Troops over here, <laughs> troops over there, you know, military people, he's he's really in favor. Good. That's good. That's that 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 is not bad. Uh the big news today of course is going to be this uh this IG report from the Justice Department about how the FBI handled the the Clinton email uh, scandal. And I had a chance to uh, chat with one of the smartest guys about this, Ben Wittes from Lawfare Blog. And he's got a great thread on Twitter, you know, saying, look, there's going to be all this hysteria. You know, the president's going to be tweeting. I'm, you know, what's the over under 20 tweets um, more, more or less. But he asked some pretty good questions. You know, he says, you know, does does the 
does the inspector general provide any reason to believe the Clinton email investigation was not conducted in good faith? Does the IG offer any reason to believe that the investigation's judgments were influenced in any directions by politics? Does the IG offer any reason to believe the fundamental judgment not to prosecute Hillary Clinton or anyone else was an error? Does the IG offer any reason to believe that any senior official in the FBI engaged in any misconduct or abuse? Assuming that the IG is going to criticize Jim Comey's judgments back in July and October 2016, which you could certainly see regarding his two fateful public steps in the case, what does the report add to our understanding of his actions and how does he evaluate the behavior of both Loretta Lynch and Sally Yates? These are excellent questions, but this is a multi-hundred page report. And uh, I'm, I'm guessing that the president will aggressively use this to to try to taint the Mueller investigation, even though um, it has nothing to do with the Mueller investigation. No, but uh, this does go to the argument um, if it if it is found out that and I guess the the initial reports that we're seeing of this report suggest that there that the IG does place blame on Comey for mm-hmm. uh, misjudgments um, that that. Comey and Comey's actions are what at the FBI are what started an investigation uh, that led to the Mueller investigation. So ipso facto, uh, Mueller is completely discounted because of this IG report. Now, I, I think that, that that will be the Trump that Trump will be the, that, that yeah, will be the yeah, Trump right. spin. Correct. Now, I, I think if you if you if you are intellectually honest, you can look at what Comey did in the summer of 2016. You can look at even what he did um, as the election approached in the days before the election. And you can see uh, a, a, an FBI director who made a lot of mistakes. Yep. Um, I will be very surprised. I don't think this is in any of what I've seen the initial reports of this IG report. Um, uh, any any evidence of political bias. What the bias uh, of Jim Comey is, is uh, a bias toward protecting and elevating himself. And I think this is very clear from every sort of public um, interaction and public statement that we see uh, going all the way to his book, is that the former FBI director has an almost weird obsession with kind of uh, making sure everything looks okay. And if we remember back to what happened in, in 2016 in that summer, his 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 initial coming out and, and, and making that statement about the Clinton investigation, it was he was trying to avoid uh, any kind of uh, problematic, uh, you know, assertions or or inferences that the public might have, but of course, what it ended up doing was muddying everything, and everybody was just able to it was sort of ended up confused. Well, is the FBI going to uh, do something about this? He, she she Hillary Clinton did something that was negligent, but it was not. Uh, it didn't rise to the level of I mean, criminality. I mean, it was very confusing, um, and I think that's reflective of Comey's personality, yeah. but not necessarily reflective of any kind of political bias. No matter what. The president may say, "No, I, I, I think that's right, and I'm probably more sympathetic to Jim Comey than uh, than, than the rest of uh, the fo- the folks. Uh, you know, and I, I actually read the book. I li- listened to it on, on audio tape, and it, you you do get the sense that, and I do think that uh, there were some fundamental errors in judgment there, but I think they were relatively in good faith as opposed to this. And you yes, could, you I could agree. Listen to it because he goes through the thought process, and at a certain point, you ha- you're faced with." you know, bad options or worse options. And there were there, you know, you, you, you can second guess, you know, probably should have called for a special counsel at a various points. But but yeah, they, the key distinction there is you can say that that he got those decisions wrong without also saying that there was some political malice or bias. Yeah. And you've got to also add this, Charlie, which is 
Um, you got you got right to the to the point there, which is was Comey acting in good faith? And I think that um, unless the IG report really sort of shows anything different, um, that uh, we can uh, we can believe that. The argument that this all invalidates the Mueller investigation and everything that we've known um, has to has to believe um, you have to believe if you believe that argument, you have to believe that the FBI and James James Comey and the Department of Justice, all of them together were acting in bad faith. Now, I don't hold any brief for Loretta Lynch uh, and, and, of course, the tarmac meeting with Bill Clinton and all of that. But um, you really have to believe in a kind of almost conspiracy of all of these disparate parts of the Justice Department. And if you know anything about the way the federal government works, um, <laughs> they can't they can't agree on what to put out in a statement, let alone uh, agree to any kind of conspiracy that 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 this would have to be in order to um, show any kind of bias that in validates the Mueller investigation entirely. Um, and I think that's worth pointing out. All right. I, I want to switch gears in in a moment and I want to talk about what's going on with the borders, you know, particularly with, with the families and the children. And um, uh, Andrew, I want to get your, your take on this. But today's Daily Standard podcast is brought to you by the Dollar Shave Club. Look, um, the Dollar Shave Club, you know, is more than razors. It delivers everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. I mean, everything you need to get ready in uh, the, the the bathroom. The Dollar Shave Club, yeah, that Dollar Shave Club delivers, you know, uh, again, shampoo, conditioner, body wash, toothpaste, hair gel, even a wipe that will leave your. They actually want me to retush, feeling really clean. <laughs> I, I have never used this product. But I hear it's fantastic. Really, I, I, I do. Now, I'm a big fan of their Amber and Lavender Calming Body Cleanser. You know, particularly before doing this podcast, I do need some calming. And, and that actually <laughs> helps. All Dollar Shave Club's products are made with top shelf ingredients that will not break your budget. And you will feel the difference. Plus, the shipping is included with your membership. Okay, so here's a great way to try a bunch of the Dollar Shave Club's products. For just 5 bucks. you can get their Daily Essential Starter Set. It comes with a body cleanser. The One Wipe Charlie's, not named after me, believe it or not. They're amazing. Those are the amazing butt wipes. Their world-famous shave butter and their best razor, the six-blade executive. Keep the blades coming for a few more bucks a month. Add in shampoo, toothpaste, or anything else you need for the bathroom. And you can check it out at dollarshaveclub.com slash weeklystandard. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash weeklystandard. Okay, I, we need to talk about the uh, new cruelty. And I know that sounds like, you know, squishy, liberal, rhino stuff. But these stories that are coming out of the border, what what is happening with the, the, the conscious separation of families from the children and the, the detention centers set up for kids and apparently the floating the idea of, of, of tent cities. Um, this is a conscious policy of the administration to make – to to deter, they would argue, to deter people from bringing children across the border. Now, again, you can you, you can make a distinction between whether this is a you know sound idea to try to, to deter without necessarily embracing a policy that seems aimed at punishing children. I don't know, Andrew. What is your take on this? 
Well, I, I think one thing that's worth pointing out is this is sort of the dark mirror version of uh, a, a more sort of mainstream or uh, traditional conservative argument about illegal immigration, which is that you don't want to create perverse incentives for people to come here, right? So this is right. sort of the opposite side of that, which is that if you make the idea of migrating to the United States horrible and and uh, you know, horrifying, then maybe fewer people will attempt to make the journey. And you can see how that's that's an argument. But at the same time, you know, we need to sort of grapple with this actual policy, which is which is sort of horrifying on its on its face. It's it's not just people who uh, are migrating in illegally and are scooped up by by border patrol. It's it's people who are who are coming and turning themselves in, seeking asylum, are having uh, which is which is not illegal. You know, it's under federal right. law. You are you are allowed to come across the border and turn yourself into border patrol and, and seek asylum. But these are these are people who are having their children taken away from them uh, and w- with no plan of of returning their children to them at any point. I mean, it's it's sort of the state of policy. Key. Right. Yeah. I mean, because because in in the past that might have happened, but it wouldn't have been for so long. And you wouldn't have the situation where parents have no idea where their children are and don't know when they're going to get them back. Yeah. At least from what we've seen so far, it seems like it's going to be uh, the DOJ's policy to just put these children into the foster uh, foster care system pretty much permanently. And the, the other thing that uh, is, is worth talking about that we've been getting some news from just uh, over the past couple days is um, that the, some journalists just yesterday were able to go into one of these uh, detention centers, or they're, they're technically called shelters, uh, for child migrants, um, which which was in, uh, in I, th- I believe, Brownsville, Texas. Mm-hmm. There's there's a big one. It's a former Walmart that's been you know refitted uh, essentially to house and shelter uh, these kids. And and uh, the thing to realize about this is that this is not a new uh, thing. It's not a new shelter. That these sort of things have been around for a while, and they've the, the purpose that they served uh, originally was uh, to to shelter and feed and clothe uh, unaccompanied minors who came across the border um, and and then were were scooped up by by ICE or, or whatever. But but people who you know didn't have uh, anyone or any uh, adults around to take care of them. So you you can see the the purpose of that. It's sort of it's sort of gross and it's sort of you know, uh, not not anywhere you'd want to live as a kid, but but it's you know better than just sort of coming into the country uh, alone and being out on the street. There you know there's right. someone sort of taking care of you even in this sort of bureaucratized way. But now what these centers are are being used for, at least according to these reports that we've seen, is that there's all these children who are who were with their parents when they came across the border, either you know illegally immigrating in or seeking asylum, who are now being taken away from their parents and just stuffed in these centers, which is ho- horrible. You know, obviously for the children, there, there's no uh, reason besides the deterring uh, effect to do that as well as just it's not really I mean it, it the conditions in these places are, are getting a lot worse because of the overcrowding um, they, they weren't set up to to accompany or to uh, accommodate levels of of, uh, of, of children at, at you know at, at these levels and, um, and and apparently at least according to the the group that runs some of these centers the Trump uh, administration didn't even give them advance notice that this policy was going to be going through so they weren't able to prepare it's sort of a disaster really any way you slice it and it's 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 been going on you know for a couple weeks sort of under the surface it's been, uh, you know, it's been overshadowed by a lot of these other stuff. You know, maybe understandably, North Korea and things like that. But, but I, I really think that this is uh, has the makings of a real crisis, and uh, and we right. should we should it be talking is, a lot about it. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it is horrifying to the conscience. I mean, the the images are horrible, but also, you know, for those of us that the thought of you know conservatism as being the you know family values movement. Okay, where where does does family values you know apply up until this moment? Uh, so. Give me your sense of, of of how this is playing out on you know in, in Capitol Hill or or in you know 
the, the suburbs of, of Trump world, uh, my, Michael Warren. I mean, I, I understand how important it is to be as harsh as possible uh, to to illegal immigrants or apparently to asylum seekers. But but you get any sense of unease that perhaps this new cruelty might backfire? It's hard to say. I mean, I think it's yeah. good for the reporters who went uh, yesterday to see this, to open this up, to see what's going on, um, uh, how widely and how broadly um, those images and those reports are getting out there. I, I can't really tell. And, and and to be honest, if you're asking about Trump voters themselves, yeah, um, I, I don't I have not been watching Fox News 24 seven, but I don't know if any of this information is, is getting out on on Fox, for instance. And I think this is a um, this is a problem uh, for for uh, the sort of uh, atomized media environment that we that we live in right now. I think this is a really good point that that we no longer live in a live in a political universe where where we actually you know ha- have the, the same the same issues the same facts the the same uh, you know the same images that we we can talk about that uh, you know half of America well forty percent of America may never see these pictures while the other half of America is absolutely morally outraged by seeing you know, seeing what's going on down there. No, I agree. And the, you know, the, I, I saw, for instance, most, most of what I saw was from, um, an NBC or maybe even an MSNBC, um, uh, uh, personality or reporter, uh, who was down there. Um, Jacob well, Soberoff. The, yes, Jacob yeah. Soberoff, who did, who really did some really, stuff. really great yeah. photos. Yeah. Um, well, I don't think a, a big chunk of, of the country is even going to listen, uh, to that. So, I mean, the only, I think other sort of recourse here is whether or not these images, um, maybe even get to the president himself, because we have seen that the president has, for lack of a better term, a soft side when it comes to images. He's a very, he's a guy who's sort of driven by television and images and imagery. Um, we remember that, that, uh, that strike that he ordered on Syria, uh, in response to the, uh, the Syrian government attacking children, its own children, um, was something that moved him. Um, so perhaps, uh, somebody with, with access can, can get some of these mm-hmm. images to at least uh, impress upon the president that, um, his policies are having, uh, a, a, a negative effect. And I agree with you, Charlie. If, if we, uh, if, if we are dependent on the tender conscience of, of Donald uh, <laughs> Trump, we, I'm, I'm not you, tremendously optimistic. You, well, you know, hope springs eternal. But, uh, no, your, your, your point, your point is valid, but you know, what about on Capitol Hill? Um, no, for example, let's, you know, Bob, Bob Corker, um, has decided, you know, on again, off again, on again, off again, um, you know, that he's, uh, that he's off again, uh, you know, saying that the, that uh, the Republican Party has become a cult, uh, you know, back on uh, criticizing Donald Trump. Uh, you know, the, you know, Bob Corker is kind of a sad story, isn't he? I mean, if if he if he would have been more consistent about this, he might have provided a little bit more backbone. But how will this play uh, among you know, among Republicans on on Capitol Hill? Le- leaving aside Donald Trump, leaving aside the Trump voters, there are other people out there. You know, the the, the Ben Sasses of the world. You know, the Senator Langfords of the world who are going to see these images. Who are going to you know have, you know whether or not they get uh, political blowback, no matter what the poll numbers say, just say, gosh, is this is this what we want to be? Is this what our party is doing? Is this what you know our agenda is? You know, it's it's possible um, that this is too optimistic a take. You know, it's it never hurts to be too. You know, it's hard to go too pessimistic most of the time, and, and at least especially <laughs> now. Um, but but and, and and there it is too early to say for sure because you know this is these are all really new reports. You know, a lot of we, right. we knew this policy was was being rolled out, but um, a lot of this reporting, like you guys were just talking about, is is just in the past twenty four hours, and so we haven't really gotten to see these people react to it yet. But That's it just it seems to me that the facts of of this just on their face 
um, are really unable to be spun away and are just that horrifying. I mean, it's it's if you just think about a person, you know, who you know is from maybe some Central American country, their their lives are like uh, ravaged by gang violence or what have you, and they they know that they are able legally to seek asylum in the United States. They make their way all the way up here. Uh, they turn themselves in, and the first thing that happens is their kids are taken away from them yeah. forever. That's insane i mean it you, you it's it's easy to sort of like talk about a lot of these things and we talk about a lot about you know one outrage after another after another in uh, in this administration and in politics today but 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 who can look at those facts i mean even even the president's own supporters parent, right i mean like I mean, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps just listening to you andrew right because, i mean, I mean the, if, if you you've been a parent you know and you know ask yourself try to have the, the empathy to imagine what it would be like to have, you know, a, a six-month-old, twelve-month-old, eighteen-month-old, a two-year-old, or a three-year-old child taken from you in this particular circumstance. And, and you, you just know, you wh- think about, the, you know, the, the policy might be right. And you think about the regular arguments that are that 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 people who are, you know, relatively hard-nosed on immigration return to again and again, which is, uh, and and even even if you think about it, the the fact that that uh, DACA is a little bit more, uh, some people are a little bit more uh, reason. Uh, willing to you know accommodate other views when it comes to these people who were brought here illegally as children or things like that but but the the regular arguments are like well if you you know you you should have expected to be treated badly if you you know when you broke the law right. by migrating in you know you see that all the time but these are right. pe- in a lot of cases people who did not break the law i mean i think that it, you can't stress that enough that this is crazy for that reason alone no i i i agree um, one, one last thing. Uh, now, Michael, you were at that event with, uh, uh, Gary Cohn, who's, uh, who's out of the white house now. Um, and, uh, I'm just seeing that, 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 Gary Cohn, I mean, what is Gary Cohn who was for a while, the, depending on your point of view was, was either the, uh, you know, the, the globalist Goldman Sachs, uh, mole in the white house, or he was the, the voice of free trade reason in, in the white house. Um, what is his take? about what has been happening, particularly with the uh, with the issue of tariffs and uh, the breakdown of the G summit, uh, the G7 summit and and the prospects of a trade war. Uh, well, first of all, Charlie, um, he was asked about Globalist Gary, which was the nickname I think Breitbart and some of their readers and, and followers gave him. And he, he said apparently he found it very flattering. So um, take that, <laughs> take that uh, for what it's worth. Uh, he was v- it was very interesting. I think he was he was this was a Washington Post event. They brought him in uh, uh, to to do an interview. He was very restrained, um, but but pointed in 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 many ways about his disagreements, although he wouldn't, he didn't call them that. His disagreements with the current trajectory of the administration's trade policy. Um, he was asked about whether or not uh, a trade war could create a recession. He sort of hedged and say, oh, the, you know, the, nobody knows uh, really what's causing a recession until you're in the recession and it's hard to predict mm-hmm. these things. But he said, um, he did say that, you know, these trade disputes could and, and, and tariff policies could lead to, quote, um, uh, the these historic igre- ingredients for an economic slowdown. And then when he mm. was asked mm. if, the, if a trade war could undo the benefits of of the tax bill, which of course Gary Cohn was a big part of pushing uh, and defending, uh, he said yes. He said it absolutely could. Um, I thought that was very interesting. The other thing about you mentioned the G7 uh, summit. He was asked about the, uh, the the sort of blow up of that after the fact. 
He pointed out, which I thought was very interesting, very delicately, that uh, these communiques, which is really all that matters, the thing that the that the seven world leaders agreed to and signed and that President Trump withdrew uh, his signature from, he said these things are, are hammered out two months ahead of time um, by by the, mm. you know, it's basically the the administration knew what was going to be in this. Yes, some words are changed at the last minute here or there, but this is essentially, this should have been no surprise of what was going to be in here. Uh, and he essentially said that what was in the document was um, was right and okay. And I thought that was, um, uh, that, that, that was a very interesting thing for Gary Cohn, a position for Gary Cohn to take. Obviously, it wasn't what uh, Peter Navarro or, or the president himself uh, interpreted um, after the fact. He, said, he did say that he thought uh, Navarro's comments were inappropriate and uncalled for, which I thought was very restrained given what I've been <laughs> told uh, Cohn and Peter Navarro, the sort of the big protectionist in chief, uh, the kind of arguments and the kind of choice words that they used in their arguments in the White House. So um, it was an interesting event, um, uh, but but a much more restrained than I think he really wanted to be, uh, or rather he really uh, could have been. Um, I think the signal gets out. I exactly. Mean, just listening exactly. to you, 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 you don't need to go too much further to, to get what he was saying there. And of course, that was the dynamic in the White House. It was, uh, you know, Gary Cohn versus the Peter Navarros and Peter Navarro. Um, appears to at least for the moment have, uh, you know, decisively come out on top and then goes out and has that bizarre performance, which I'm sure, you know, once again, because all of these performances have an audience of one uh, that uh, that Donald Trump absolutely loved. But we're going to see how that uh, that plays out. Um, anybody make anything of this report from CBS that uh, Sarah uh, Huckabee Sanders is uh, is headed for the exits? Does does that matter? Does anybody care about that? Uh, look, I think that <laughs> these things are um, th- th- there's a problem with these kind of personnel stories, which is that of course they always end up being true eventually. <laughs> and um, the story actually sort of suggested by the end of 2018 she would be going out. Well, last time I checked, we still got about yeah. six months left in the year, and that would be sort of normal. Um, I Wasn't there see- a round of stories like, even a few months ago that was like by like midsummer or something she was going to be out? Yeah, and there's all there always are. And and, and the sort of the, the White House pushback is always, uh, well, I guess if you keep writing those stories, they're going to be, you're going to be uh, uh, right eventually. But um, th- th- there is going to be, um, Kellyanne Conway said this last week at a breakfast I was at that there there will be some changes to the communication staff uh, in the broader White House staff in the next coming weeks. So, I mean, who knows? Uh, this is all I did see a really interesting uh, theory on Twitter. I can't remember who said it, um, that perhaps pushing this story out uh, was a way for uh, for Sanders and maybe even Trump to find the leakers, um, to push out a, a story oh, yeah, that, right. that might reveal uh, who was leaking it. So I don't know. I mean, the, the point is, is that it's drama. It's a soap opera in the White House staff and um, uh, and and I wouldn't be surprised if Sarah left tomorrow or if she stayed through the next uh, two and a half years and she yeah, can't I've, she can't like her job right I mean it's got to be miserable no I mean you do wonder you know what it must be like going up there and having to do that on a regular basis and as I've said before our politics are in dog years so six months is is what is the equivalent of you know half a decade you know, in normal work <laughs> hey, uh, you know while I have you on uh, Andrew um the uh, I, I tweeted out the piece you wrote yesterday uh, about the the South Korean newspaper uh, really critical of, of President Trump at the, the summit, and I and I think that that got uh, probably got more traffic than anything else I tweeted out yesterday. That really seemed to hit a a nerve. 
um, the the uh, just tell me this. Uh, remind the listeners, uh, this was a newspaper. This is a, an influential newspaper in South Korea that had been very very dovish and was completely um, unimpressed by what happened in Singapore. Yeah, I apologize. I haven't had to pronounce the name of this newspaper no. aloud yet, but it's it's uh, something along the lines of Chosun Ilbo. I'm really sorry if there are any South Koreans listening to the podcast. Um, but it's sort of the the country's paper of record. Um, and like you say, they had been uh, you know, cautiously optimistic leading up to this summit. Um, and they yeah, they had a really sort of hard hitting and and kind of disgusted almost editorial coming out of it. Um, basically, just saying what did what did South Korea get out of this? What did America get out of this? North Korea got everything that they wanted. They got the you know they got Donald Trump. To using uh, their propaganda about war games and promising to end these defensive uh, military exercises and things like that um, and and just yeah, it was it was a uh, it was sort of surprising because the, the thing that I thought was interesting about it is that obviously in America this played out the way that every single thing plays out in America because mm-hmm. we can't see any issue at any you know anywhere except through the lens of Trump so people who love him said it was like a masterstroke and people who are his critics said it was a terrible performance and you know it, it, I, I just thought it was interesting to, to see you know someone who doesn't have any you know personal skin in the Donald Trump thing even you know even they've even published editorials before you know talking about how important it is that South Korea right. stays on uh, the good side of Trump stays in his good graces for you know for dealing with this North Korean situation but they were they really seemed to think it was a catastrophic uh, uh, way for that summit to go out. And obviously, we sort of agree here at the Weekly Standard. Yeah, uh, gentlemen, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it very much. We cover an awful lot of ground. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. Uh, I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back again tomorrow, and we'll do this all over again. <laughs>